Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget. Chapter 3. The Boy Who Lived. Draco remembered the day he met Potter easily enough, because it was the day his parents were already planning to take him to Diagon Alley. Draco pleaded and pleaded to go a day or two earlier secretly to avoid Potter, but they seemed too used to his whining to give in and shift their schedules. It had them going a week after he had arrived to find his Hogwarts letter, which meant a whole week of wrestling with the urge to tell someone. It was a measure of how unhinged and desperate Draco found himself becoming in the privacy of his own head, that for a split second it occurred to him to use the Imperious curse to get his parents to keep him away from Potter. After all, he had found that with his new wand, he could use that curse. He had gone back to the cellars during one of his repeated searches of the same area, hoping for some miraculous apparition, and the sight of spiders had made him remember Mad-Eye Moody's demonstrations in fourth year. He hadn't scrupled within the safely warded walls of the manor to repeat those demonstrations, testing his magic and ensuring he had full command of the wand should he have need of it. Though he had to admit to himself, that using the Imperius on his parents to make them go to Diagon Alley earlier didn't really qualify. He used it on the largest spider he found, enchanted candles hovering over the ugly purple-black insect, with its myriad compound eyes that seemed to cloud once Draco's enchantment descended. He willed it to dance, and watched it obey, with a sick feeling in his gut that made him stop as soon as he could, while being sure the curse had worked. He held the spider in place, petrified, hearing his breathing come out ragged in the chiller underground air, and let it go only when he was ready to practice the Cruciatus curse. The spider's writhing then left no doubt that a new wand and a new body hadn't made his abilities at dark magic atrophy. Draco released it and watched it scurry haltingly away with a taste of acid in his mouth. He practised a lot of other spells after to wipe the slate clean, should the wand be checked for some reason for past use. He would soon have his own wand back in this time, the old, reliable unicorn hair one, earlier than the last time, since the change he had managed to prevail on Mother to make was to let him go to Ollivander's first, ostensibly out of over-excitement to get a wand, and thereby avoid Potter at Madame Malkin's. He wouldn't be using either wand in this time period for very long, and yet, with each hour that passed as an undetected intruder, it felt more irrationally vital for him to be capable of defending himself. When he cast Septumsempra on the next spider that happened by, with his compliments to Potter, the individual feathery legs segmented unevenly off, with a pooling of blood over stone and then gradual stillness like he might as well have cast a Varda Kedavra. He ran through every spell he could think of in those dark, empty hours that seemed to stretch magically long, dragged out like saltwater taffy refusing to pull apart between Vince's grubby hands. He didn't ask to visit any of his friends, even the living Vince, and avoided his parents as much as possible save at dinner, but they didn't seem to notice anything. It was almost distressingly easy to fool them. And then it was back to the cellars, casting endless, meaningless sequences of Flitwick's charms year by year in hovering candlelight, or to his room, writing down aimless ponderings of his situation to burn and leave him banishing smoke and ashes. When the day to go to Diagonelli arrived, he had little trouble mustering up most of the feverish anticipation he had held the first time. Even if there was something unpleasantly hysterical in his excitement, his parents didn't notice. 
Diagon Alley hadn't been this bustling and colourful for years, though Azkaban hadn't exactly left Draco with ample chances to go out on the town. For all he knew, post-war restoration had been so quick that there was already just as much chatter and clamour and laughing children back in his time. He scowled at the first years running around shrieking about new cauldrons and broomsticks, making a nuisance of themselves, thinking Diagon Alley had been better in that dark time without so many children around. He wished he could wave a spell to banish all the children from a five-block radius, only to remember that he himself happened to be a child. Father insisted on stopping in Nocturne Alley before anything else, which left him standing outside Borgen and Burke's for a stretch of time alongside Mother, trying to remember whether this delay had happened the first time, and whether putting up with it made it more or less likely that he would run into Potter after all. Imperious did remain a possibility. Once they finally made it to Ollivander's, though, after all of Draco's whining and poking and prodding about it, he found himself unable to step through the door. He thought, for a paralysed eternity, that there was some magic keeping him out, that something in the wards or the building or the old man inside could sense the boy trying to walk in was a dark wizard who had helped wreck this centuries-old shop and lock its owner in his family dungeons. But no, it was just Draco's own feet. A shove to his back with father's cane sent him stumbling over the threshold easily enough. Draco had thought Ollivander looked hideous and old and decrepit the first time he saw him, but compared to how he'd been after a couple of weeks at Malfoy Manor, this Ollivander was so fresh-faced and undamaged that Draco could have thought him some younger brother or nephew. But it was Ollivander, and he had ones for the Malfoy boy to try, while mother and father hovered right beside him, like they could somehow will Draco's magic into responding to a better one than the ten-inch hawthorn wood with unicorn hair he was surely going to get. It had been the first wand he tried before, and so it was again. It felt familiar in his hand, an after-image of the wood suffused through with what he had imagined Potter's lingering warmth, though it was bigger in this smaller palm. He felt a too brief surge of gladness, before his eyes registered the lack of any surge of magic. There was nothing in the shop but a boy holding a still wand and three adults watching like they were liable at any moment to look at his trembling hand and see he was an imposter, preparing to begin attending a school he had already opened to the forces of darkness. No? Ollivander mused, looking surprised, more at the total lack of response than an imperfect match. How about this one? Ten inches, hornbeam and unicorn hair. Quite rigid. The sense of loss Draco had felt watching his old wand put back into its box, like Potter had showed up to take it back from him, was doubled when he grasped the wand, and again there wasn't a spark. Nor could he feel any thrum of magic, only the same blankness as if it had been driftwood. What's wrong with him? Father hissed, looming over the proceedings. And Ollivander did not look flustered quite yet, but rather perturbed. Give him a better one. He'll want something stronger like mine. Dragon heartstring. Elm. He rattled it off as if Ollivander wasn't known to remember every wand he'd ever sold, and produced his own wand from his walking stick with its silver snake at the end. Draco had used to covet and admire that wand and stick, but could only find it embarrassing now. How could he not? after Voldemort had snapped the useless decoration off it once Father meekly handed it away to him. 
My wife also has dragon heartstring, dragon heartstring and redwood. Try something like that. He takes after his father. And now Draco also had to be embarrassed that father was trying to tell bloody Ollivander how to do his job. Ollivander tried two more unicorn hair cores to no result, before switching to Dragonheart at father's continued complaints, only for the same null effect to ensue. Draco could see the concern in mother's eyes, before she cast a nervous glance around the shop to make sure no one was seeing what was becoming a shameful display. It's not my fault, I'm from the future, he wanted to tell them, trying to summon up the nerve to ask for another go at that first wand. Father didn't seem as concerned, until a succession of wands with phoenix feather cores also produced an eerie absence of magic, whatever the length and wood and shape. By the time they had entered the third dozen of wands for Draco to try, with Ollivander coaching him to calm down, concentrate, not to panic, Father looked so apoplectic, Draco feared an eruption of uncontrolled magic from father, more than himself. Tell me, father said tightly, after a wand of holly and phoenix feather was as impotent in Draco's hand as the rest, that my son, my only son and heir, is not a squib. He cast a sharp glance to mother, who darted to secure the perimeter against potential observers, for what Draco's parents seemed to be preparing to face was one of the greatest ever shames to the name of Malfoy. I am not a squib, Draco protested, hating the lack of authority in his high-pitched voice, and Mother returned with a small nod. He hadn't used to understand it so well, the small gestures and looks they would exchange over his head, but he could read this one easily enough. No one is around to spread the word that our son is something that would have made him better off strangled in his cradle. I'm not. I've had bursts of accidental magic like any other child. You know that, he told mother, then looked at father with his parents' grimness starting to affect him. I'm not! Ollivander still held an outward facade of calm, though inwardly he had to be wondering whether he had bitten off more than he could chew. Sometimes it can take many tries to find the right wand, or sometimes, in rare cases, a young wizard is simply better suited to one of the rarer cores not made here. Draco has used my wand before, Mother interrupted, a bit of impoliteness rare for her, but she seemed brimming with the need to convince herself. I've taught him a few simple spells, first-year charms, different lights, sparkles and butterflies. He never had too much difficulty. Hmm, Ollivander said, peering down with a critical eye that made Draco almost as uneasy as the threat of his parents' impending hysteria. Yes, it is common in pure-blood families for magical training to take place before a wand of the child's own has been chosen. Has your son practised magic with any other wands? Such a lack of magic in any wand is unusual in any child born to wizards, even a squib, let alone a child who has already demonstrated both accidental and intentional magic. Perhaps your son has already found a wand which does not like to share. That's impossible, father snapped lip curling like Ollivander was willfully wasting his time. Draco has only practised magic with my wife's wand and only under supervision. And then, inwardly eighteen or not, something in Draco's face seemed to give him away. Draco? Draco took a deep breath, reached into his innermost pocket and pulled out the talon wand. Mother let out a sharply indrawn breath and covered her mouth while father peered at it with a sort of murderous curiosity. 
I have, Mr. Ollivander. Only a little. I found this wand at Malfoy Manor and I've been practising with it. He looked up, only to see Ollivander's previously unflappable face gone as frozen as his mother's. And it has worked for you? Ollivander asked in a strained voice. It has responded? Yes, Draco said, and Ollivander whispered a spell under his breath. Caduceus revelare something, which seemed to replicate the conditions of testing a new wand. Immediately, there was a blast of something murky and syrupy that smelled like poison in the air, inkiness exploding outwards that could only be described as shadow, emitting high enough to smash into the ceiling and send wood hurtling over them. Protego! Draco called instinctively, a second before a large splinter could hit his mother's face. And then the fragments of the ceiling seemed to drift harmlessly down around the sphere of his shield, though it was hard to see through the shadows. Only once the shield around the four of them dropped did the bubble of darkness dissipate as well, leaving Draco's parents staring at him with looks he had never once seen them wear for him before. On Draco's father, it was the ire he would have expected, though overlaid with a certain level of caution he should never have had to wear for his own son. On Mother, he had only seen that look in her eyes when the Dark Lord spoke her name. Ollivander glanced instinctively towards Father, as did Mother, with both of them puzzled when they saw his hands empty and realised he hadn't been the one to cast the charm. That was quick thinking, Draco, Ollivander said, understanding first, while Father and Mother looked between Ollivander and each other. A very impressive reaction for your age. It seems we can safely conclude Mr Malfoy is not a squib whatsoever. He has just had his magic bonded to a wand already. My services will perhaps not be required at all. Are you the one who sold that wand before? Father demanded. Mother nodded while staring at her feet before Ollivander replied. I did indeed, alongside your lovely wives. Dragonheart like her sisters. Twelve and three quarter inches. Dark walnut. Curved. Ollivander's voice could not hide his reluctance to speak the words. I sold this wand many years ago to Bellatrix Lestrange. Whatever Draco could have said died in his throat. He wanted to drop the wand, to hurl it as far away as he could. He might have set it on fire if he had been any good at wandless spells. He only had been once, shattering the glass that held him back from this wand that had been... How? said Father, a trembling finger raised, pointing in the air, not so much at Alivander as at reality itself for so bafflingly defying him. How could the wand that belonged to my wife's sister respond to my eleven-year-old son? Dragonheart calls do not tend to be loyal, Ollivander said solemnly, particularly if one in jewels they bond quickly and strongly to new owner forgetting the last, and in long absence. None of them had to speak to remember that Aunt Bella had been in Azkaban for almost all of Draco's life. A dragon heartstring call, even a wand of such power, even a wand that has, perhaps, known dark magic, forgive me. Do not mince your words, Father said with a snarl. Tell me what this means, now! Ollivander frowned and heaved a sigh, while Mother just got paler and paler. Staring at her feet like a ghost was crawling up from beneath the floorboards. Such a wand may be claimed by a wizard of greater power than its last owner. 
all with a stronger aptitude for dark magic. That got Ollivander pulled into his office by father in a way even a squib label had not, with mother following, but Draco left outside in the cold. Ollivander only stopped to repair the hole in the roof, vanishing the debris and casting Draco a look perhaps not as pitying as one might have expected, before following Draco's parents behind a door that closed in Draco's face. Wandering through the shelves with the ugly wand still in hand, Draco secreted himself in a corner near the end of one of the cavernous shelves of wand boxes, as far out of sight as he could. It rendered it no easier to breathe, with a twisted wand on his lap no less brutal a poison to his very welling eyesight, one he could not bring himself to look away from. He cried for quite some time, despite his resolution not to cry again after he left Azkaban. He had only mentally allotted himself the right to cry at Severus's funeral, and that had only been maybe, maybe not, if Potter was there. Nor did retreating into the shells keep him from discovery. His parents still hadn't emerged from their undoubtedly grim conference with Ollivander, when he heard a voice over him asking after his welfare. "'Are you all right?' repeated the owner of that voice, and without even looking up, even with the intervening years in which that voice had broken and become a man's since Draco had last heard it this childish and clear, Draco would never not know the voice of Harry Potter. "'Are you sick? Do you need help?' Potter prodded, footsteps nearing until Draco could feel him looming over the stool where he sat, radiating concern for the pathetic stranger he had not yet learned to hate. Strangers. Draco had wanted it to stay that way until he could ask Severus what to do, had rearranged their schedule to that end, and yet all his interference had done was ensure he met Harry Potter on that same fateful day. Except today he was pathetic and he never got another chance to make a first impression. At least he knew who he was talking to this time. Can I help? Potter asked intently, and actually reached out and touched Draco's shoulder with disarming gentleness. He had the voice of a child, and as Draco looked up, the face and height of a child as well, disconcerting when some part of him had been envisioning Potter as he had looked the last day of Draco's trial holding out Draco's wand before turning on his heel without a word. He was trying to speak to Draco now. "'I'm Harry,' Potter said, with an eager earnestness to his voice that made it feel surreal, if not impossible, for Draco to be the one this angelic child Potter was talking to. "'Please tell me what's wrong. I came here with an adult, but he went to buy something when Mr Ollivander was busy. Should I try find him?' "'No,' Draco said resolution not to speak a word to Potter undone in an instant at the fear of being seen in this state by what had to be Hagrid. No, don't. I, uh, I... The words were difficult to get out. He had not thought it would follow him, these fits of crying and panic that had begun in sixth year and never really stopped since. But if the dark magic he learned in that time had also followed, it was only fair for this to have followed as well. Sixth year... He should just be grateful. The silvery lines of scars Potter had left on his body that year hadn't followed here too. What's going on? Potter asked, eyes going to the wand in Draco's lap. And there was a spark to that brilliant green. The eyes were exactly the same, with intelligence that Draco didn't remember seeing so keenly the first time. 
you here to get a wand too? Is that your new one? He lowered his voice. Is something wrong with it? I don't mean to pry, but the man who brought me, Hagrid, he knows all about Diagon Alley and Hogwarts. He's the groundskeeper. Maybe he could help. The first time, he'd just seen Potter as a nobody, another faceless classmate to impress. There would be no impressing Potter now. And Merlin, the thought of Hagrid, without even a proper wand of his own, summoned to comment on the wand of Bellatrix Lestrange. Draco had to say something. It was a shock to see Potter like this, but more of a shock to be treated with nothing but friendly concern, fresh, untainted. But Draco wasn't talking. This time around, Potter was going to think he was an imbecile. Yes, it's this wand, Draco said, not knowing what to say except the truth to avoid the horror of a helpful Hagrid. But I don't need help. I, I... He struggled to breathe, hugging his arms around his small body, aware he must look very much in need of help. It's just, it's not the wand I wanted, the wand I should have, but there's no fixing it. The wand chooses the wizard. Oh, Potter said, and knelt down to meet Draco at eye level with mortifying kindness. I'm sorry you don't like your wand. Are you going to Hogwarts? Draco nodded tightly, trying to gather himself. Potter's eyes looked even huger than he remembered in a smaller, rounded face, like a little owl behind glasses with a broken frame. Are you a first year too? Draco nodded, because apparently something in the universe had decided he was. It's, uh, nice to meet you. And then Potter stuck out what Draco had waited for on the train to Hogwarts that had never come. Harry Potter's outstretched hand offered for him to shake. I, uh, I'm Harry, Potter said, with an excited kind of embarrassment, like meeting Draco was actually something special, and shook Draco's hand hard. I, oh, I guess I already said that. I've never met another wizard before. Draco blinked. He knew Potter had been raised like a wild animal by savage muggles, but they were in Diagon Alley. I thought, you said you came with Hagrid, Draco said wondering if his mind was working properly. At least he could breathe, like Potter's nervousness had finally calmed him. Does he not count as a wizard? Draco wouldn't consider him to, but he doubted Potter would be of that opinion, so the boy was just blathering as far as Draco could tell. Oh! Potter blushed a shade brighter than any Draco would have thought he could evoke from Potter, in anything other than anger. I mean, yeah, of course, no... I meant another wizard my age. Sorry. What's your name? Draco, Draco said obligingly, choosing to leave off the Malfoy, and found himself losing patience with Potter's ridiculous kneeling, perched like an officious house-elf waiting for orders. You might as well sit down. Potter flashed a bright smile once Draco pulled another stool over, and the panic in Draco's chest seemed to vanish as if it had never been. Draco, Potter repeated, as if to be sure he was pronouncing it right. Draco supposed muggles didn't have such ancient noble names. Like a dragon, Draco explained, that smile drawing out an unexpected desire to please, when he shouldn't have been talking more than necessary and risking changing the past. But Severus wasn't there to tell him how not to ruin the life of the boy beaming at him. Like the constellation, it's the name of a dragon in the sky and a fair number of real dragons, of course. 
The wonder that lit up the liquid pools of Potter's eyes was so genuine it made Draco uncomfortable. So dragons really are real, like witches and wizards and goblins. Dragons are real too. Hagrid said there were some guarding the high security vaults at Gringotts, but I wasn't sure if he was joking. Though I did see fire in the air, and we're supposed to buy dragon hide. You've heard of them before. Do muggles have legends of dragons? Draco asked, frowning in surprise. I suppose they would have to, wouldn't they? As magical creatures go, it would seem harder to miss the airborne and inflammatory sort. Potter laughed. He actually laughed. And Draco's gut clenched more painfully than it had when Ollivander told him whose wand had chosen him. That is so cool, Potter breathed and stared at Draco as if he was the one who had personally invented dragons. You might have to wait for a while for your wand, or come back tomorrow, Draco said, knowing he should give Potter a reason to go and find his pet giant rather than linger around here, doing incomprehensible things, like laughing at Draco's jokes and smiling at him with eyes that hadn't changed at all. My parents weren't happy about the wand that chose me. I could be in there with Ollivander all night. Oh, Potter said, with what looked like a tinge of jealousy adding to the green of those eyes. It figured, poor, poor, parentless Potter. Is it really a bad wand? Because it's crooked. Can I see it? Draco felt no option but to nod and let the boy who lived do as he liked, feeling at the wand of Bellatrix Lestrange, the witch who'd fanatically served the wizard who was the reason Potter didn't have parents like Draco did, to take him to buy his school supplies. Potter picked it up and turned it in his hand. Does it not work? Unsurprisingly, Hagrid had seemed to have done a miserable job explaining the simplest things to Potter. He probably wasn't much better off than he would have been with the muggles. No, it's just that it's my wand, see? Draco lifted it and pointed it at the tape holding on one side of Potter's glasses. Those are driving me insane. They're hurting my eyes. Reparo! Potter gasped and pulled off the glasses to stare at them, rejoined the plaster come off. They were still astoundingly cheap-looking, of course. Draco was a wizard, but there was something so ugly they fell beyond magic. Don't worry. The trace is basically never enforced if you've got wizard parents. Draco comforted Potter, only to find his awe coming from a more basic root. How did you do that? Thank you, Draco, breathed Potter. Draco almost told him how easy it was. It would have been even for his real eleven-year-old self. But he found the words to show off, or mock Potter's naivete, dying on his tongue. What was the point of trying to impress or intimidate Potter? The real Potter wanted nothing to do with Draco. He shouldn't be making an impression at all. It's a charm, a repair charm. Wow, Potter said staring at him with enough renewed wonder that Draco stopped feeling the drying tears on his face until he heard his father bark his name. He wiped quickly at his face with his sleeve, then pocketed the offending wand. I'm coming, father, Draco called, and turned to Harry as he stood. There, looks like you'll be able to get your wand today after all. Wait, Potter said, and seemed to reach out to snag Draco's sleeve to keep him there before thinking better of it. Just the sight was enough to freeze Draco where he stood. Any show of Potter actually wanting to touch him. 
he hadn't since they'd been on the broom together, fleeing the flames that Crab was swallowed by. Wait, Draco, how does this work? How can I make sure I don't get a wand that isn't good either? He'd left Potter with a false impression of the process and its difficulties. No wonder that restless anxiety was on his face again. You'll get a great wand. Of course you will. A powerful one. What do you mean? How do you know? Potter's face pleaded childishly for reassurance. But Draco just said as much of the truth as he could. Because you're Harry Potter, he said, and turned on his heel and went to join his parents. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidiru by Star Bridget.